Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. You know, there's a story of a heavily booked commercial air flight out of Denver that was canceled. And so there's a lone agent having to rebook a very long line of very inconvenienced travelers. She's hanging in there when all of a sudden a, one of the travelers comes storming up to the very front and he slaps a ticket on the table and says, I demand that I'm on this next flight and I demand that I'm in first class. And she says, well, I'm sorry, sir, but I won't get to you right now because I'm already having time to book with these other fine guests with us as well, but I'll get to you as soon as I'm done with them. And he made this statement loud enough for everybody to hear. He said, do you know who I am? She went to the microphone, grabbed it, and said, may I have your attention, please? We have a gentleman here who does not know who he is. If any of you would know his identity or could help in that, would you please come to the counter? He sheepishly went to sit back while everybody else applauded. Well, while that's funny in a story, it is not funny in real life because identity theft is a very real thing. In fact, even as we speak, thousands of people's identities are being compromised right now. 10 million people a year lose their identity through identity theft to a tune of $50 billion. Now, last week, Pastor Keith helped us look at the five cards that God says about you, what he says your identity is. He says that you're completely accepted, you're extremely valuable, that you're eternally loved, you're totally forgiven, that you're fully capable. That's who God says you are in your identity, but yet, it's so sad that as I talk to so many different people, they, they've lost that identity. It's been stolen from them. In fact, people who love Jesus, are Christians, they have forgotten that. You might identify or at least go along with some of the emotions in this letter that was written. When I first came to Christ, everything seemed to change for the better immediately. I felt joy for having been forgiven of all my shame. I felt peace knowing that God loved me, and I felt hope because I learned that He had a purpose for my life. It was a great relief. But after a while, my joy seemed to shrink. Following Christ became a struggle. Old habits reared up their heads again, and I felt the tug of old ways coming back. This really frustrated me because I thought I was through with all of that. I want to do the right thing, but I lack the ability to do it. I can't seem to fulfill all my good intentions. I, I know what is right, and I know what is wrong, and I really don't want to do wrong anymore. I know that God doesn't want me to do wrong, so why do I make bad choices? What's wrong with me? It's so frustrating. I sometimes wonder if maybe I'm even really a Christian. Have any of you else ever felt things like that? I know I have at times. In fact, the book of Job has a verse that I think is real uh, identifies with where we're at today in society. It says this, human life is a struggle, isn't it? It's a life sentence to hard labor. Well, the reality is it is a struggle. You'll see on your message notes that, that there are three battles that you and I struggle with. Let's walk through those three battles so we can help identify what it is that we're fighting against. The first thing is that there is the battle against us. Say that with me. The battle what? Against us. You, you, you have a God that loves you desperately. Can I also say you have an enemy who hates you desperately? The Bible is very clear that you have an enemy, Satan. He has three goals for your life and my life. Steal, kill, destroy. He wants to steal, kill, destroy you. 
He wants to still kill, destroy your marriage, still kill, destroy your children, still kill, destroy your values, your purity. He wants to still kill, destroy your identity. He is very real, and he battles at you all the time. I always think it's interesting when, when people face a hard time, maybe a card they've been dealt that, that is, is not a card they would want, and they ask this, they say, where's God? Where's God in this? Wrong question. The right question is, where's Satan in this? Because he is certainly very active to steal, kill, and destroy. You have an enemy who is against you. But then there's a second battle, a battle that surrounds you, surrounds us. That might be things that are just part of life. There's circumstances that have just happened. Things beyond your control. Man, people in the farming industry right now, I talked to one this week, going through a hard time because they can't control weather. They can't control when they get crops in. They can't control prices. I mean, it's just, it's the battle that surrounds them. It might be people in your life. It might be that. But then there's a third battle, and that's the battle within us. Where is it at? Within us. And how you know, sometimes that's the hardest battle. It's the old Pogo cartoon that says, we have met the enemy, and he is who? He is us. Absolutely. So, so with these battles for our identity, who will win? Well... It depends. It depends on what you feed. Let me say it this way. How many of you ever heard, you are what you eat? Can we agree on that? Okay. Uh, a few years back, my wife and I took our kids. They weren't married at that time. We went to Tampa, Florida for a week's vacation between Christmas and New Year's, having a great time. One of the days, it was a little rainy, kind of cool, so you didn't want to be outside, so we thought, let's go see a movie. So we went in the afternoon to a movie and got there early, and right next to the movie theater was a, a uh, ice cream shop, a national chain ice cream place, and walked in, let's have some ice cream. And I'm kind of a mood eater. And all of a sudden, I saw marshmallow ice cream. I went, man, can I have a sample of that bad, bad boy? Ooh, oh, oh, that's good. Do you have hot fudge that you could put in there, and we could make a marshmallow hot fudge shake? They said, yeah. I said, what's the biggest cup you have? So they did. And oh, my word, it is fabulous. It'll be in heaven. It, it will, kind of thing. Later that night, we're back in the condo, and my daughter, Sarah, comes, and she has her computer up, and she said, Dad, I want you to look at this. And she went down, she had researched the nutritional value of that hot fudge marshmallow shake. <laughs> 2,380 calories, 266 grams of sugar, whoa, and 108 fat grams. It was terrible, but how many, if I, how many of you would have one right now if I gave it to you? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man, it was good. You are what you eat. So let's come back to the question. The battle for your identity, who will win? It depends on what you feed. Will you feed what yourself on what God says about you or what Satan says about you? Will you feed the positive? Will you feed the negative? Romans chapter 7, Paul, I think, says it's so so good in emotion terms. I'm going to read out of the Message Bible. It's not going to be on the screens. I'm encourage you every week, bring your Bible or get the Bible app. Always have the so you can follow along. This is out of the Message. We're going to start around verse 15. Here's how Paul says it. I can anticipate the response that's coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. 
So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, and then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I, I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there, any, is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer is, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can, and he does. Do you, do you hear Paul's emotion in that? Do, do you identify with that at all? I do. Man, I, man, I really don't want to get mad at the kids the way I do and, and lose my temper. I, I don't want to do that, but yet it, it, it happens. Man, I really don't, I really want to stay pure. I really do, but man, then it just seems like I just blow it and, and there it goes again. Man, I really, I really want to let go of this anger and yet I don't understand why I can't, why does it hold on to me so much? Today, I want us to look at the five steps of identity theft. And here's how it happens. Once you take the first step, the other four come real quickly right behind it, cycles down real, real quick. And to really ask the question, in the scale of life between the positive and negative, between what God says about you, Satan says about you, how are you going to tip the scale? Now, I have to get a disclaimer, and the disclaimer is this. God is at work, but you have to work as well. How many understand that? There's our part to it. We live in a society where we want everything to change, but nothing on us changes. I'll, I'll tell you, like there's a commercial. I have a hard time with this commercial. It's for X-Lax, okay, laxative. Think about it. Here's what, here's what the commercial says. Works while you sleep. That bothers me. I mean, like what? You wake up in the morning? Ha-ha, <laughs> work. I mean, that's a bad thought. But as we talk about things, you have to work as well. So let me pray for us and ask God to talk. Heavenly Father, give us wisdom to understand what is stealing our identity, the identity you gave us, the identity that you made us to be. You created us in your image, and yet so many of us are so far from that. So God, help us to understand it, learn it, and apply it. Amen. If you take out your message notes, the first step in identity theft is the step of saying, I got this. Say that with me. I got this. Here's the question. How do you know when a man is getting ready to hurt himself? Answer, when he says, I got this. <laughs> it is the first step, and it cycles down right from there. I am not mechanical at all. I admit it. I have two tools in my toolbox, a cell phone and a checkbook. Those are my two tools I use. I am bad. When Cindy and I first bought our first little home, it was a home that had no garage on it, little 
thousand foot square home. So we thought, well, let's attach a single garage. So I went to a lumber yard. They had a seminar on how to build your own garage. I came home that night and Cindy said, what'd you learn? I said, I learned I'm not building my own garage. I learned that two minutes in. Holy cow. But there was a guy at our church that was a contractor that said, here, I'll help you out. Okay. I'll help frame everything else. You just pound where I tell you to pound. Oh, okay. I can do that. So we did, built the garage, attached it. I mean, he, he knew what he was doing, obviously. And we're all done except two doors, one a side door to the garage and another one a back one to the backyard. He puts the side one in, and then he says, hey, I got to run an errand. I'll come back a little bit later, maybe another day, and I'll do the back door. It'll only take me about 15 minutes. And I said, I got this. I got this. He says, no, no, really, really. Let me come back. And... It'll take me 15 minutes. I'll do it. I said, nope. And then I made this statement. Any moron can put a door on. <laughs> well, obviously not every moron can put a door on. Because four hours later, I'm still trying to figure out, asking God to forgive me for all the words I've used in the previous four hours on it. But it all happened because I thought I had this. You know, it's interesting Satan has a goal for your life. We talked about it, but here's his number one goal. You might want to write this down. Satan's goal is never to get you to hate God, never. His goal is to get you to doubt God. That does God really have your best interest, really? Does he really know what's best for you? You know what? You got this. And so we say, you know, I know what the Bible says about finances and about tithing, but I got this. I got this. I know what the Bible says about sex outside of marriage, but you know what? I got this. I got this. I know what the Bible says about forgiveness and reconciliation with other people, but, but I got this. I got this. Would you repeat this after me? I don't got this. Can I tell you? That's the greatest prayer you can pray if you start the day. And say, God, I don't got this. I don't know how to be a husband today, God. Because I will get selfish real quick. God, teach me how to love my wife and be sacrificial to her because I don't got this. God, I don't got this. I, I don't know how to handle my kids and walk with them and give them wisdom. I don't got this. God, I need you because I, I can be too demanding. I can be critical. God, I don't got this. I need you, God. As we go into this day, God, I don't got this. I need you. See, we want to admit that, that we got this all the time. Here's what Romans 7, 15 says, and I would like you to read it with me. Would you read it out loud? Here we go. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Did you see a common word? What's a common word in there? Isn't that the problem? See, in that passage right there, Paul actually uses the word I 12 times, the word me six times, the word my six times, the word myself two times. He uses the personal pronoun 42 times in that chapter. What he's saying is that my problem is your problem, and it's the same problem, me, myself, and who? It's also the middle letter of sin, I. And see, every time that I think that I have it, no. Because, you know, sometimes, sometimes life just won't make sense. No matter how many times you try to get it under control, it just won't. Things will happen. It doesn't make sense at all. It can be confusing. <laughs> there was a baseball game on television some years back on NBC, and it went into many extra innings. And here's what the sportscaster said. He said, 
The Tonight Show has been canceled. The Tomorrow Show will be seen later tonight, and the Today Show will be seen tomorrow. <laughs> okay. I don't think he has that. See, friends, when you and I say, I got this, I got this, what we're doing is we're casting a vote on which side of the scale. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to understand. God says, no, let me have it. Let me have it. No, no, I got it. Because when we do that, there's a second card we immediately go into, and here's the second card. We say, I blew it. Say that with me. I blew it. See, once you say, I got it, pretty quickly, you're going to say this statement, I blew it. Romans 7.16 says it this way. I know perfectly well what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proves that I agree with all these laws I'm breaking. If you have that in your Bible, conscious, circle that word conscious. It's, it's a Greek word. It means two things. Con means with. Science means full knowledge of. So with full knowledge of. Some of you who are a little bit older remember there was a comedian years ago that made kind of a living saying, the devil made me do it. No, no. The devil tempted you, but you and I know exactly what we're doing. Let's just be honest about it. We know what we're not supposed to put into our bodies. We know that. We know we're not supposed to say that. We know we're not supposed to do that. We know we're not supposed to think that. Sin never happens accidentally. And Satan will tempt us, but the minute we say yes and we blow it, immediately he flips it and now he guilts us. And guilt is a great tool of his, a great tool. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you have the story of God creating everything, Adam and Eve, and it's perfect. I mean, it's perfect. They're in harmony with God, with each other, with all of creation. They have everything they need, everything. I mean, my word, they're naked. That's great. And then there's only one command, not that tree, not that tree. And Satan comes along and says, really? Just to doubt God, really? Why would he say that? You got this. You got this. And Eve says, I got it. Soon, right behind Adam says, I got this, and they both blow it. They've sinned, and now guilt comes, and they have to do something with their guilt, and so they hide from God. Like, that's going to work. And the Bible says that they did something to cover their bodies. You remember what they covered their bodies with? Leaves. Cover their bodies with leaves. We go, well, that's crazy. I don't know. We do the same thing today. It just looks a little different. Uh, leaves might be technology because I can unfriend the person because I don't want to deal with it. If there's a situation between me and, and them, and I don't want to have to reconcile and work it out so I can unfriend them or I can just text up without having to talk to them. I can use technology or or now we're just going to throw ourselves into busyness because I'm so guilty about what happened. I'm just going to make myself busy so I don't have to think about it. And how are you doing? Oh, we're busy, busy, busy. That's what we are. Or we just mask it. We just mask it. It's, a, it's kind of like a pharmaceutical that you take, and it never solves the problem. It just masks the problem. And maybe it is a substance we take to mask it or other things in it. You know, if you've ever watched poker played, five-card stud, you'll understand that there's a great part of the game that goes on. It's called bluffing. And the competitors are trying to bluff each other out. There's three ways you bluff, basically. One is you put on what's called a poker face. Any of you heard that phrase? Poker face, which means nothing. There's no emotion at all. Stone face. Interesting, a lot of those guys or gals wear sunglasses in their poker face. The eyes are always the window to the soul, always. 
So you put on a poker face, no emotion at all. Or you go to the side where if you have a good hand, what does your face show? You, you look, you pretend, you bluff that you have a bad hand. So it's a good hand, you're going, oh, because mm, mm, you're trying to bluff the guy out. Or opposite, if you have a bad hand, what does your face show? What do you think? It shows, it shows smile. If you have a bad hand, you go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, because you're trying to bluff them out. I wonder who in here today is bluffing. Because you might be a poker face. You might even be a smile. But your hand is crap. Because that's how you feel about your life right now. But you're going to bluff it so that nobody knows. And you simply hide behind it. See, God says no. Give, give me, give it to me, admit it, I have grace for you, but we go, no, no, I blew it, I blew it, and we cast a vote. Because when we do that, there's a third statement, comes right behind it, that says, I'm no good. Say that with me. I'm no good. See, we go into an area then of, we start to condemn ourselves, and man, we're good at this. Ah, read you are so stupid. You're such an idiot. How could you do that? What are you, what are you thinking? What, what are you thinking about? My land. I think Jim Carrey is a great actor. And one of my favorite movies of his is called Liar, Liar. Any of you ever watched that movie? There's a part in it, and if you don't know the movie, he's an attorney, but he lies all the time. That's how he does. He just lies on everything. But a wish by his son now causes that he can't lie for 24 hours. But there's a problem. He has a big case. And he can't lie. And he has to lie to win the case. So he's figuring out, what can I do? He says, I have an idea. I'm going to get myself beat up so that the judge will hold off the trial till tomorrow when I can lie again. But problem, there's nobody to beat him up. So he decides to take it on himself. If you haven't seen it, watch this. Now, that is very funny in a movie. It's not fun in real life because that's exactly what most of us do to ourselves verbally. We condemn ourselves, and we just beat ourselves up. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 7, verse 18. He says, I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. Huh. I wonder where Paul got that thought from. Do you think that's God telling him that? 
You think God says, you can't do it. No, God would never say that. There's an enemy, though, that will talk to you, and he'll get you to agree on that. There's a verse that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18 where he says this. He says, I tell you once more that if two of you on earth agree in asking for anything, it'll be granted to you by my heavenly Father. And here's how it works. The Bible says, if two of you agree on anything, it'll be done. And how we take that is on prayer requests. So, hey, Reed, would you, add, would you pray with me on this thing to agree it'll be done? I don't think we understand the aspect of how it deals on what comes out of our mouth. So, for example, in Numbers 14, great story, great story. I encourage you to go read it. The Israelites have left Egypt. They're now coming to the promised land, the land God gave them. And he says, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to have you go in, but I'm going to send in 12 spies first. Go send in 12 spies and search the land. They come back. Two of them say, absolutely, let's go for it. Ten say, can't do it, can't do it. And here's what they say, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. And all the people of Israel say, man, we're going to die in the desert. Yep, we're going to die in the desert. That's what we're going to do. They cast their vote with their mouth. And listen to what God said. Moses, he told Moses, tell them, just as I've heard them say today, so it shall be done to them. Two or more agree. They said they're going to die. Boom, it's done. They will die in the desert. All of them died in the desert. And the 10 spies that gave the bad report died that day. Question, what's coming out of your mouth? Who are you agreeing with when you talk about your identity? Are you agreeing with what God says about you? It shall be done. If you agree with what the enemy says about you, it shall be done. Either way, it works. And God says, don't accept that garbage. Don't accept that stuff. No. But when you say, nope. That's who I am. You've casted a vote, and the scale tips. Which leads to the fourth card. The fourth card says, it will never change. Say that with me. It will never change. See, what happens is we get frustrated. Romans seven eighteen says it this way. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do good, I do it anyway. If I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's plain where the trouble is. Sin has me in its evil grasp. And that's exactly what happens when we get to the phrase of, it's not going to change. Why even try? And maybe some of you are in your marriage right now, and that's the place you're in. It's not going to change. Nothing's going to change. This is the way it's going to be. So why even try? In your personal life, I've tried to stop. I can't. It's never going to change. In your finances, I can't seem to get on top of it. It'll never change. It just never will change. This is, this is just who I am. This is how it is. No, no. Understand there's a battle going on. The, the battle of sin and the, and the battle of gravity are very similar in the fact they both will go down. So, for example, what's easier, a push-up or a push-down? Push-down takes no effort. Just fall. <laughs> how about a pull-up or a pull-down? Pull-down is much easier. You will have to struggle, but what happens is this. If you, God says, if you want to change, you can. You can change your situation. It does not have to be this way all the time. But when you say, nope, nope, that's just the way it is. It'll never change. You cast a vote, which then leads to the last statement. And the last statement is, I give up. Say that with me. I give up. And now we go into a place of despair. My dad had a favorite TV show years ago. It was kind of a 
corny country show called Hee Haw. Any of you remember that show at all? And they had a song on it about being in despair, and then there was a tag, that kind of a chorus that went into it that went, oh, and everybody do that. So do that with me. Here we go. Oh, okay, I'll sing it. You come in on your part. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And that's how a lot of people live their life. And they say, I give up. Romans 7, verses 21 and 25 says it this way. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. In my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Another verse says, wretched person that I am. In the Greek, it means this, exhausted, worn out, fatigued. Is that how you are today? You're just worn out. You're exhausted. You're fatigued because you're tired of fighting a battle, and you've said, it's never going to change. Man, I, I tried it. I thought I had it. I got it, but I blew it. I'm no good. Nothing's going to change. This is it. It's over. And what happens when we do that, we want to do what they do in poker. Fold your hand. I'm out. That's what happens. You look at your hand, you go, marriage can't work. I give up. Fold the hand. It's over. You give it on yourself. Man, I can't overcome this addiction. Fold it up. And we do that a lot. In fact, two different people I talked to this week really struggling with the aspect of, is life even worth living, or is it better if I just fold on life? See, the battle is real. Pastor Keith sent something to me this week on this, and I thought it was really good. Here's what he says. To sow seeds of bad thinking or unrighteousness almost always reaps a harvest of bad consequences. Consequences of distance from God, hatred towards oneself, frustration at life, irritation at a lack of growth. Looking back, I can see how this has played out over and over in my life. So often I sowed a thought, I can't do it, and what I reaped was an identity of a failure. I sowed the thought, people don't like me, and I reaped insecurity. I sowed the thought, I'm so stupid, and I reaped a paralyzed life. I sowed the thought, I can't trust people or God, they hurt me. What I reaped was shame. I sowed the thought that people won't accept me for who I am, and I reaped lies about who I really was. Amazingly, because of the chemical makeup of our brain, our minds cannot tell the difference between what's reality and perception. Whatever we think instructs our mind, and repeated negative statements sowed day after day tell our mind, hey, that right there is my truth, and our mind acts on it whether we like it or not. Thoughts sowed, reap habits. Habits create your life, so be careful, little mind, what you think. Your thoughts can either push you ahead or draw you back, restrict you or recreate you. And when we say, I give up, and we think it's over. I'm going to ask Jaden to come to the stage. Why well, do? Let me tell you a story as we finish off. Story of an Indian chief who was a Christian who was trying to tell his sons about this whole aspect of the battle of the mind. He said, you have two dogs, two dogs that are fighting. There's the good dog and there's the bad dog. And the son said, 
well, which one will win, Dad? And he said, whichever one you what? Whichever one you feed. Romans says it this way, who will free me from this life that has been dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Notice that the answer is not a what, it's a who. It's a who. So let's ask, where on the scale are you at today? Have you put thoughts in your head and had other, allowed other people to put thoughts that you're no good, it's over? The hand can be different. The hand you'd melt, you might think, this is a loser's hand. There will never be anything good that comes out of its hand. This is a losing hand. I'm going to fold. No, God says don't. It all starts, as Pastor Keith's been talking about, with the king of hearts. That when you say, I don't got this. I don't got this. God, you got to take this. I give it to you. Please take it. I don't got this. God says, thank you. I will. Because when that happens, then when you blow it, because you will blow it, God says, I forgive you. Accept grace. Don't be held down by guilt. Don't buy that lie by the enemy. You've been forgiven. You've been totally forgiven. Instead of saying, I have no good, nope. God says, you are extremely valuable. You're extremely valuable. And what you did has no basis on that value. I created you in my image, and nothing can steal that. That's mine. I hold it. You don't hold that. And when you say, it'll never change, God says, no, I can change it all because you're eternally loved. I look into your future. I'll use your past into a new future. And then he says this, instead of saying, give up, no, let go. Just let go. Let me have it. You are fully capable. And God says, don't fold the hand because you understand, it's the winning hand. And Pastor Keith's been saying it, bet the farm on it. Bet the farm on it. It was interesting this week, I had two conversations with two different people, both same gender, both same education, and both started at the exact same job. One of them is feeling like, I need to fold, I can't go on with life. The other is the president of our seminary in the Wesleyan denomination. One, the scale's here, the other one's the scale here. See what happens, we keep telling you, little by little. Spend time every day in God's Word. Every day. Every day, spend time in God's Word. Spend time in prayer. Tell Him what's in your heart. When you blow it, admit it. Just admit it. Get forgiven. Let Him take that. Then allow yourself to come on every weekend. Not the weekends that are comfortable, but come on every weekend and spend time in worship and hearing God's Word. Then get in a life group. Get in a life group where you have people that are pulling into and plugging into, and then start to serve. Start to serve and give your life away. Trust God. Trust God in what He says. Trust Him in the area of your finances. What happens as you would time and time again, what will happen is it'll weigh. It'll weigh it down. The stuff on this side will never go away. It'll always be there. Your role is to keep filling this side so God says, you got the winning hand. So today, do you really believe that you're a child of the king? Do you really believe it? Who are you going to believe? Which side are you going to cast your vote? Whichever side you cast wins. God says, play the God card. Play my card. I dare you. Play it. Trust. Follow along and watch what I can do. Heavenly Father, we thank you.
this is all about you. It's what you did. God, forgive me for the so many times I've tried to say, I got this. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. For the times that when I did blow it, I allowed guilt to hold on instead of just coming to you with it and allowing myself to be forgiven. God, for beating myself up and agreeing with what Satan was saying about me instead of what you said about me. And then coming to the point of believing that it could never change, knowing that you can change all things. And then even the thought of folding it up because it's over when, God, it's never over with you. So, Lord God, I pray for people who came in today that maybe they've been just bluffing it. Their face won't show it because they're really good at bluffing. But inside, they know what's going on. God, I, I just pray today they would just say, God, take it. They'd bring others around them and help them understand that you have a future for them and a hope. God, we're your child. You created us in your image, and we say thank you.